you can go back if they're saying five thousand. You can go back and and try to negotiate it, but it all has to be done within the ten days. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills, or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host Sarah Larby. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Larby to another episode of Where Should I Invest? Today's guest is the one and only Jas Takar, who is awesome. I mean, this guy's awesome. He is a real estate investor. He is a great realtor that works with investors to scale up their portfolios and also has a top business podcast called the REC Experience, where he interviews guests about their successes and in investing and in entrepreneurship and all of that great stuff. So I'm excited for this interview. The other thing I'm really excited about is my Burr Freedom community that is going to be starting in December. So stay tuned, more info on that. But in order to get the information, don't forget to subscribe to my mailing list at sarahlarby.com. And it's going to be really exciting. We're going to have uh, monthly calls. We're going to create a Burr community where you guys will be able to ask questions, anything Burr related, anything related to the buying process, the renovating process, rents, finding and screening and managing tenants, the refinance process, and also the repeating scaling up. So we're going to be going through some really awesome content, and that is going to be part of the Burr Freedom community. So if you want to know more about it, stay tuned. I will be sending out some emails to you guys shortly about it, and it is going to be ongoing. So one of the things that I find works the best is that ongoing education, that ongoing training, rather than just going somewhere for like a weekend and then you get back to regular life and you forget about it. I think there's something to be said about ongoing education that's continuous. And, uh, and a lot of people learn really well that way, right? Because it's, it, it keeps being ingrained in our minds of all the different strategies and processes and things to do to, uh, to elevate ourselves. So I'm excited about the Burr Freedom Community and uh, I hope you guys are too. With that said, let's, uh, let's listen to this awesome podcast episode. I hope you guys enjoy it and see you next week. Jazz, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm awesome, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. I absolutely am excited about this. You and I, I'm just looking at your sign behind. It says Ready, Fire, Aim behind you if anybody is looking and watching this on YouTube. That is my motto too. So first and foremost, for those people that don't know you, tell us a little bit about you and, uh, and what you do for real estate or in real estate. First and foremost, I love taking long walks on the beach. And now I'm playing. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I co-founded REC, which stands for Real Estate Center. Um, there was originally three, biz uh, three partners. Uh, one passed away a few years ago. And so myself and my current partner, Simos, we manage a team of 33 realtors that covers kind of the greater Toronto area. So for your out-of-province listeners and, and out-of-country viewers, we're looking at about a 75-kilometer radius. And then we have 10 support staff, uh, ranging from admin, director of sales and marketing, director of real estate concierge services, and then a full-time media squad, as I call them, graphic designer, videographer, part-time videographer. And uh, our team, I'm very, very proud to say, we do a little over and help a little over 700 buyers, sellers, and investors every single year. And we've been doing it for about 15 years. 
That's pretty impressive. So how did you get into real estate prior to that? Like, did you just say, you know, out of school one day, and this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to start. Give us a little bit of background story. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, sales and service my whole life, 12 years old, 13 years old, got a paper route, um, fell in love with knocking on doors um, and just like building rapport with people. Then I found out uh, with like really quickly within like three, four months that I can start brokering some of the other paper routes around the area. Cause my friends were just scared to ask, ask like ask the managers or call like the Toronto star or the sun and say, can I get a job? So I would get it, broker them out, make a little bit of a cut school was not a passion of mine. I shouldn't say school was it. I loved school. It was class that I had a problem with, I think. And as I, as I grew older and older, I, I just realized that there's something about connecting with people. And, and so I got into the one course that I really, really enjoyed was um, a business marketing or business administration course, but it allowed you to do a co-op. Went into a retail store. They hired me on, in the summer, um, then went into banking. And then I met, then I went into car sales for about three years at Acura and Lexus, met a, met a mentor, took me underneath his wing, kind of taught me, just taught me what work ethic is all about, taught me, taught me how to, how to sell, how to sell and how to really actually make it easy for people to buy and, and don't be a pushy person. And then I started to think about, I want to invest in real estate, believe it or not. So I was actually thinking, I got into the course thinking it was going to teach me how to invest. I, once I got the, the materials in the mail, I learned that, oh, this is so I don't get sued to be a salesperson. And, and I knew I, I had some skills in, in sales and service, so I figured I'll continue with the course. Um, met another mentor, like out of sheer serendipity, just met this guy. Um, he was the partner who passed away a few years ago, and uh, him and I just kicked it off uh, uh, 15 years ago, and, and then I started investing into real estate. But I really took the real estate agent part of it very, very seriously. We went from zero realtors and now we're sitting at 33. And, and, and so that's how kind of the real estate career started. And then I just loved investing. It, it, that came innate to me because back home, I'm, I'm, I'm of East Indian descent. And so the most Northern part of India is Punjab. And what my family did back home was you have land, you, you farm the land and either you rent it out or you just sell back the vegetables to the market. You come here and the basement apartment specials in Brampton's are all generally, generally East Indian. So that I started to realize and learn that at a very young age. That's a really awesome story. And you're really successful and, and you're still young. So you, you started early and, uh, and you're, you're really scaling. Just out of curiosity, when it comes to investing for yourself, like what is your main strategy? My main strategy is condos and like specifically pre-construction condos. And the reason is, is because I'm, I'm, I'm lazy when it comes to investing. It, like, I'm just not the, like, if you see all the shelves and everything behind me, I didn't touch any of this. I can't, I'm not good with a hammer. Like Sarah, you wouldn't want me in one of your properties doing anything in terms of any renovations. That's just not, that's not my skill set. And so I like very, very passive buy and hold and pre-construction condos. Once that started to get really scalable in Toronto, meaning that they just were, we had no other choice. Builders and developers had no choice really to other than build out condos. I just saw, I saw a huge win knowing that 
tenants are going to want to live in condos because of the fact of how close they are to where people like to work and transit. And then it allows me to put my down payment, my 20% as an investor down payment in installments. And I don't need to qualify for really like I don't have to get financing. There's a formality, but I don't have to actually get financing until the building gets built three years out. Okay. So it sounds like there's some pros. I can think of some cons as well, but you know, maybe you can share some of those because one of the things that I'm thinking is in times where there's some uncertainty, right? And so there's ups and downs in the market and you've got something that's pre-construction. What are some of those risks? Well, look, I mean, at the end of the day, the first thing that you want to consider is understand that that 20%, yes, it's paid out over time, which is awesome and it's fantastic, especially if you just want to start getting into the market. But after the what's in Ontario, you have a 10-day due diligence period. Kind of to cross all the T's, dot all the I's, you'll do that with a lawyer. After those 10 days, you're locked in now. And so you can't get your money out. So it's going to be like 5% in 30 days, 5% in six months, 5% in a year. In a year, if something happens or you just want to get your money out, no can do. The only time that you can actually uh, get that investment back out is through an assignment, but you have to usually wait a year before the building gets built. So for me, that that in itself is something that someone needs to consider because if you're someone that, that might need the money a year out, you're, you're going to be tied up. You can't get it. The other thing is, is that sometimes values don't perform depending on location, right? And so that's the first thing I look at, but it might not perform at, at, at the certain pace that it was, especially what we're going through now, kind of mid 2020, as we sit here and talk right now, values have not, have not increased at the rate that, that they were increasing at the start of the year or compared to you know, the last five, seven, eight years that we've seen uh, uh, here in the greater Toronto area. And so that's something that you also want to definitely consider as well. Okay. So personally for me, I don't invest in condos. I mean, I have different strategies and I like to do the renovations because the burr thing is, is really my thing, but I, I do find it interesting. And so, you know, for those people that may be interested in looking at condos that do want to be a little bit more hands-off, like how do they even determine what a good deal looks like? Like what is a good price? Like how do you do the analysis on the condos? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing's first, like, as I mentioned, location. You want to, because location is going to determine everything else, right? I, I, it doesn't really matter if you're going to uh, do a condo, do do a bird to a property, student housing, whatever the strategy is, there's the, the old adage of location, location, location definitely rings true because it's going to determine who's going to be my customers, as I call them, the tenants. And is there going to be a, a like, can you cast a big net and have a lot of turnover if someone does leave? Can you bring someone else in? Where's the job growth? Where's the population growth? So you want to start off with determining location. And for me, it's, if you look at world real estate, the values always appreciate the most and the rentability and rents go up higher around transit. There's a reason for that, as well as you want to look at population growth. Greater Toronto area is, is forecasting approximately 200,000 people year after year for the next 10 years. So we're going to have 20 million people. We have a lot of people coming in, but we don't have a lot of supply. And so that's always good as an investor, like wherever there's a lot of demand, but there's not a lot of supply, there's a big opportunity to win. In terms of when it comes to pre-construction and and how do you figure out if it's a good deal, first you got to understand how pre-construction is priced by the developer or the builder. 
there's stages that the that the condo project is being offered and so there's about three four to five different stages the first stage being like the platinum access family slash flat family and friends that's where you always want to get into you want to buy at that stage because the builder if it's a let's call it a 300 unit building okay they're going to release about 40 units or so in that first tranche that's going to set the pricing and so after about a 10 days or two weeks they're going to release another 30 units 40 units but that's going to be at a higher price they'll do that a third time within about a two two and a half month period to to, to kind of sell off 70 70 percent of the building contrary to what a lot of people believe that the builder doesn't want to sell all the units in one day there's no benefit of them doing that especially in greater toronto because they have a lot of demand because if they sell it all in one day, they're not going to be able to increase the pricing. They're going to make money. But as an investor, we don't want them to sell them all off, all in that one day. Because we want, if we buy in the first uh, allocation, by the third allocation in three months, or, uh, on average, I see about a fifty to $60,000 increase on paper. Obviously, it's on paper because you can't sell it yet. But I'm seeing about a $60,000 increase um, on average in, in for a condo in the greater Toronto area. So how do you know if it's a good price? You, same thing, you're gonna look at compare, you're gonna look at what other, what are comparable units selling for? So if you're looking at a one bedroom, you wanna see, okay, price per square foot. So we're gonna take the price of the unit, divided by the square footage, and then we're gonna come up with price per square foot. Right now in Toronto, downtown Toronto, um, we're looking at about $1,200 to $1,300 price per square foot. For some people that might sound like it's a lot, but when you compare it to other world-class cities, i.e. Manhattan, Hong Kong, London, Paris, everyone is north of 2,800 to 3,000. London and like Manhattan, you're looking at $3,400, $3,500 price per square foot. Even if you compare greater Toronto area to Vancouver, like right in our own country, Vancouver's at around $1,800 to $1,900 price per square foot. And so is, as long as, in my opinion, the rental income covers the expenses, which it will with pre-construction condos, because we're taking what is going to be the rent in three years from now, because that's what you want to make sure that you forecast the rent very, very conservatively. I use about three and a half percent year over year increase. We've seen a lot more than that in the greater Toronto area, but you'll still, you'll still get condos that, that cash flow now. I'm gonna get five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. That's not happening. And so, if that's what you're looking for, then this strategy is not for you. Um, this is for somebody who wants to. It's really more of an equity play, right? You have, you know, that you're gonna build the equity via the market appreciation, as well as what I think any investor loves with real estate is the fact that the mortgage is being paid down by somebody else. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors on this week's episode. I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel from White's Elm Design Build. And Rob and Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that 
they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the rhino part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what renos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget, which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. That is whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Or you can send them an email, joel, J-O-E-L, at white elmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Good luck on your next projects. Now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's definitely not going to be as much cash flow in buying condos as you would with multifamily or, or something else no. further out, especially yeah. the, main, the main city. So can we just like really simplify it? Like what is an average one bedroom, like the last like 10 deals that somebody bought, like what was the average, not cost per square foot, but just total. But so, so you're probably looking at about average. You're looking at about $500,000. Okay. And rent on that is roughly what? You're looking at about 2,400. Okay. And, and so in that price, the 2,400, they're going to pay the mortgage, the taxes, maintenance costs. And maintenance costs, you're looking at about 250 ish around there. Okay. 250, 260. And the tenant's going to pay the, the tenant's going to pay the utilities, i.e. the hydro, because the hydro's not in the maintenance fee, the condo fee, the tenant will pay for that. Okay. And the, and, and the tenant will pay for the heat. The water would be in the maintenance fees. Okay. So, so give or take, like they might, they might be out of pocket a hundred dollars or $200 a month. Is that fair to say for that kind of strategy? Now, now, depending on location, you might get a little bit lower in terms of the purchase price. So, for example, you could still find something, a one-bedroom. It's going to be 420 square feet, 425 square feet, which definitely sounds like a shoebox, but very, very practical for a tenant. You, you could still find something right around that 450, 470 kind of range. Um, but I would say you might be about $100 or neutral cash flow. Okay. So that's good. No, thanks for sharing that. So when I look at plans and I've, you know, before I really started investing, we were like, okay, do we go the condo route? Do we do something that's pre-construction or not? And we ended up just doing not pre-construction, but looking yeah. at these, these different plans, is there stuff that we need to look at? Like how the layout looks like, what is better? A one bedroom, a two bedroom, like walk us through that. Cause I actually have no idea. Yeah. 
So in terms of like me personally, I, I've always liked to go with one bedrooms. Reason being for a couple of reasons, actually. A, I know tenants are on budgets. And so I would rather be committed to a lower monthly payment, A, from my mortgage perspective, but B, also the fact that I know it's easier for me to get a tenant that's looking for a one bedroom consistently. Okay. And so when you're looking at a floor plan, try to go in the middle of the building. Why? Because again, you just cast a bigger net. There's, there's older people that generally don't like to be on the higher floors. And even actually some younger people, they just want to be able to, to, to walk the stairs. Or if they have a pet, they don't want to necessarily go into the elevators um, because other people around in the building are just bothered by pets. And so I like to stay in the middle because see, a builder is also going to charge you $1,000 or $2,000 per floor. Now, if you're in a building that has 25 floors, you being on the, you buying on the 24th floor because you got a better view, that might, that's not going to help. Uh, like, that's not going to help the numbers because a tenant doesn't really care. They're not caring about, they're not going to pay you more. They're not going to pay you more in rent just because you have a better view. Your resale value is going to be slightly better, especially if you're clearing all the other buildings. But I, I would rather you, I think you're going to get better bang for the buck just staying somewhere in the middle of the building again because you'll cast a bigger net for tenants. And then you're just looking for practicality. Like when you're looking at a floor plan, where is Jazz going to put his bed? Can he get a couple of night tables? Okay. Is there a place in the living and dining area? Even if there's not a formal dining, which, you know, one bedroom nowadays is not going to have a formal dining, but can I get an island? Okay. And then, and then in the living area, can I get a couch or a sectional and get a TV? Where am I going to put my TV? And then, and then on top of that, if you can get a locker, a locker in Toronto will probably run you about five, $6,000. They're not huge, but it's enough to fit like some extra chairs, fold up chairs, the Christmas trees, all like your suitcases. Um, and then in terms of parking, I generally don't advise parking for, for, for the investors because you're spending 80, 90, it's downtown Toronto, $120,000, $130,000 is normal now in certain areas um, for a parking spot. It just kind of throws off the number. You're not going to get the rental income to cover that. That's a great point. And I would have never, see, I would have thought parking would be good, but in, the, in a way they might like the renters could rent a parking spot from somebody in the building instead. You're going to get, you're going to see so many notices up for parking spots um, consistently in a building from an, like, I got, I got cousins, Sarah, that are 24, 25. I got tenants that come across in applications. They don't even have their driver's license anymore. Like I remember being 16, 17, waiting at the, like, I think I might've slept over at the DMV just to get my license. It's a different time now, right? Like the, 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 the younger generation, it's like, what do I need a car from? Either going to Uber or the, the, what are those, like those car share places, right? Especially, um, living in, especially in Toronto. I mean, I don't actually think I, I got my driver's license until I was 23 or 24 because I lived See? in Toronto and I was by the subway and that's all I, like I knew back in the day and it was totally fine, but I am glad I got it. <laughs> but yeah, you're, no, you're right. So, okay. So is it, is there a difference between like, if I'm closer to the elevator, if I'm in a corner unit, like does any of that stuff yeah. matter? Yeah. So, I mean, try to stay away from a garbage chute. 
they're just like I've lived in condos myself for a very long time. I mean, they just sometimes smell. The elevator is something that used to come up in the past, but because of supply and demand, I mean, people are, are just wanting to get a condo, even as an investor. People just want to get it and they know that they're going to rent it out because vacancy rates are less than 1.2, 1.3%. I mean, we see multiple offers on rents um, all the time in the downtown core and along the subway lines and transit lines. But a corner unit, you're going to pay extra for, Sarah. So again, I'm not really looking for a corner unit from an investor's perspective, right? Because I know I'm going to pay more and I'm just not going to get the rent for it. And I'm going to say about 85% of the time, corner units are two bedrooms. So now, now, now you're going to be paying more. I mean, the price point for a two bedroom is significantly higher. And so I don't really look into that. I'm looking for the most, essentially a cookie cutter kind of condo. And even during even during the time when, when I go in and pick all my colors and upgrades, I don't do anything from an upgrades perspective. The only thing I'll look at is if the builder's offering like custom blinds because I know I'm going to get a steal on it compared to if I do it on my own because the person who's giving the custom blinds to that condo, they're doing it for the whole building. And so you'll get kind of a wholesale price. I don't get involved in paying more for quartz counters if it's going to cost me extra because we know the tenant in, in the Toronto core and along these transit lines in the GTA, they're not gonna pay extra for it. So uh, to fully answer your question, I don't mind being around elevators, stay away kind of from garbage chutes. And if your view's looking into you know, a cemetery or looking right into a building, but you have a choice not to look right into another building or a cemetery, I would do that for sure. What's gonna happen is what's happened in Manhattan over this long period of time where there's not gonna be, there's not many balconies anymore because the buildings are being built so close to each other that views, views are not even worth it anymore because you're spending 50, 75, $80,000 for a view of the skyline. But again, the tenant's not going to pay you extra rent for that. No, it's, I guess it's uh, it's location and walk score where you're at, restaurants, whatever there is around there, it's living the life. That's what I'm looking for, right? I mean, I'm looking for King West, King East, the east part of downtown anywhere right now because there's so much happening there. Um, it's it's the amount of times I get tenants saying to me, Jazz, if my walk is less than 30 minutes, less than 30 minutes, I don't want it. I need a 45-minute hour walk because that's when I'm going to do – because like, if you live in the city, you don't grocery shop at Costco and you're going to pick up groceries for the whole week. You do it for like three days. You're going to go to the local local market. You're going to go to the local uh, uh, bakery. And so they want that 30-minute, 45-minute, 50-minute walk because that's where you're going to do you know, the dry cleaning. That's your exercise. You might not even take transit. You might want to have the option of transit. But a lot of people are just like, let me walk back and forth. And even in our cold winters, people just kind of, we just get used to it over, over a certain amount of period, like a certain amount of time that, that um, it all comes, walk scores the biggest thing. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. 
And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Okay. Well, now what about like amenities? Like, you know, some of these new condos have like all this craziness. Like, okay, A, I want to know what the craziest amenity is is that you've seen out there because you've got a lot of experience and then and then how are amenities important or are they not so the craziest one i've probably seen is just is is like party rooms and lounges now like they're making them like clubs some of these things right which is nice because like you can throw a party for 50 60 people um even up to 100 people and i mean it's like decked out beautiful kitchens rooftop patios um skyline uh, a view of the whole skyline I, I like those amenities. I, I truly do. The one that I stay away from is an indoor pool. So as an investor, because of the fact that the amount of times I've heard in my 15 year career that I want, I want something with a pool jazz, like an end user, someone who's going to live in there. And then I asked them a year later, how, Hey Sarah, how many times have you been in the pool? Never. So they want it at the start, but nobody ever actually makes use of these indoor pools. And they're expensive. They cost a lot to they are expensive to maintain, keeps the maintenance fees going up. And so I want to make sure that I look at uh, a building without any indoor pools, outdoor pools on the other end. That's something that I actually like to have in, in, in my condos because there's like a, there's a cool, appeal, like a sexy appeal to it. You know, it's Vegas, it's, it's New York or, or Miami feel to it. And so they actually get used. You go from May 1st to September 30th or whatever it is, mid-October, sometimes we get some really nice weather here in the GTA. They're packed every single day. And so tenants will actually want and look for that. Um, but other than the pool, that's for sure. Number one indoor pool I'm not looking for. But, you know, every building now comes with a gym. Some majority of them like yoga studios. These are important. Why? Because you're going to save the tenant 50 bucks a month. Like Good Life's membership has to be around 40 bucks a month or something like that. And so you're going to save the tenant from, from paying that. And a lot of them have like work, work from home uh, uh, units, actually, even. They're actually just built for Sarah, you to go in, me to go in. We work from home. It's plug and play. They got printers, all that kind of stuff set up, um, which is nice, right? Especially... With, 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 with changes possibly coming where more people are working from home, it's nice to have a place that's slightly bigger than your own, your own condo. Because like having a one bedroom plus den, going back to the conversation about one bedrooms or two bedrooms, the, I, I stay away from one bedroom plus dens because nowadays the newer buildings, T minus kind of four years, three, four years, these dens are like 
indentations. They're just tiny. Right. They're not, they're not another like, room that you can make a guess not even, even in an office. <laughs> not even close. There. It's like it's for it's for like shoes and stuff. Like you know what I mean? Like they, it's someone's it's less than a shoe closet than I've seen. And you're paying a lot right? more for this plus den as well. 40, 50 grand you're paying right off the bat. And so if you can I would rather, like I, I say go to the extremes, go to one bedroom or go to two bedroom, stay away from the middle, the one bedroom plus dens, let, let, let another investor pick that up or let somebody like an end user pick that up. Is there a way to figure out like how many investors versus how many end user buyers there will be? And then what do you think a good ratio is? Because what I would not want is for me to buy a condo and then there's every single other investor and their parents and their kids buying these units. And all of a sudden we're competing as soon as the, the units are done. So if you look at a resale property, the, 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 if you're looking at a resale condo, you always want to make um, your, your deal conditional upon what's known as a condo status report. The condo status report is like this thick, but there's only five pages that are really important. I'm looking at what's in the reserve fund slash emergency bank account. Um, are the are, are the um, insurance policies in place? What's the current maintenance fees? Because do not take what's on an MLS listing from a maintenance fee perspective or property tax or anything really as gospel. Like you need to make sure that you check it with the condo status report. I see mistakes all the time. And so that's why you want to make it conditional. The other thing that the condo status report will tell us is what is the ratio? Um, what is the ratio between investors and end users? They don't call it investors on the condo status report. They're saying that how many units are leased out? And what we normally see right now in the city of Toronto is a 50-50 ratio. Even in new buildings that we're looking at, you're looking at about a 50-50 ratio. Reason being because there's not many purpose rental buildings being built. And so you're starting to see some builders come out with that in the city of Toronto in the greater Toronto area, but it's really a drop in the bucket of what we need. See, remember when I, I spoke about the, 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 the 200,000 people coming in every year, we need approximately 50,000 households because one person that lands at Pearson, a family that lands at Pearson's on average about a family of three to four people. So we need about 50,000 households. Last year in 2019, we ended up with like 32, 33,000. That's where the whole supply and demand equation comes from, right? And so that's how we know that there's a lot more demand than there is supply. Um, and the fact that the that the builders are no longer building purpose built. It's why investors like myself and yourself can invest into condos and rent them out. And it's why you're seeing that 50, 50 kind of ratio. Okay. No, that's good. Thanks for uh, enlightening me on that. So let's just fast forward and let's just look at a year down the road and assume that there's a bit of a market downturn. If somebody's condo is closing at that point in time, I, so I think that would be the, to me, that would probably be the highest risk, right? As, as you're needing to close in a downturn, look at all the people that have, you know, taken out CERB because they've lost their jobs. Lenders are changing some of their requirements. So any advice for people buying right now that may or may not close and depending on if you're buying right now, what I'm highly, highly recommending is look at projects that come with a rental guarantee because there is projects where the builder is guaranteeing the rent. And that's almost like the best situation from an investor's perspective because it doesn't matter what happens to the market, the builder is putting their money where their mouth is. And so even if it's not rented, in fact, I hope it doesn't get rented because then nobody touches my unit. 
chances are that's not going to happen because the builder's not going to be out of pocket. But you pay for that so, though, like in the upfront cost. Come on, I, no, I used to be in no. sales too. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, mark I mean, it up I, by thirty grand. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes does that happen? For sure, that happens. But not all the time. Sometimes that's actually an added on incentive. That's an added on incentive from the builder to make sure that that the investor has um, a, a sense of ease. Now, how would you know if it's done? Well, I'm going to look at I'm going to look at what other like these units. What were they selling for? And I'll be able to tell. Like, okay, if the unit was selling for six months ago for 400,000 and now they're selling for 430,000. Well, I know what's happened now. They're, they're actually, uh, uh, it, all they did was increase the, the price. Don't look at that project. But to your point in terms of if you've already bought, so if you're, excuse me, in contract right now for, for a unit that's going to be closing in a year, you're going to have the ability, hopefully, if you had it in your contract, make sure that you you try to negotiate it with the with the builder. If you didn't have it in your contract, which is the right to assign, you you would want to look to assign it. But if we're in a downturn, chances are that you're not going to have as many buyers looking. You're going to have to bite the bullet. But here's what I want to here's the here's where I want to kind of put people at ease. You might need to bite the bullet for a year. I, I truly believe that even if we go through, a, like even if this downturn lasts in a, for a year, we're going, the market's going to go back up. And one of the safest places to invest in the last 40 years has been the greater Toronto area because it's increased by 7.3% year over year for the last 40 years. So it's going to go back up. If you look at your investment, and you weren't, or, or let me put it this way, if you weren't looking at your investment as a quick flip, which I hope you weren't because you can't, you know this, Sarah, you can't day trade real estate. And so if you just remind yourself, take a deep breath, remind yourself in a 10-year window, we've prices have doubled in the greater Toronto area. This last, And that's on average for the last 100 years. So the prices have doubled every single, every decade for the last 100 years in the greater Toronto area. You're just going to have to wait it out. There's like you, you can't sell it because there's not going to be that many people looking if we're in a if we're in a massive downturn. Bite the bullet. You're going to have to bite the bullet for a year, in my opinion. Um, and then here's the thing: you can increase the rent to market rent because the building was built after November fifteenth, two thousand eighteen. That is probably the one thing I like the most about pre-construction. I'll tell I'll tell you, like everyone's got their strategies, right? And there's pros and cons to every strategy. Yeah. It's probably not the strategy for me, but the best thing I do like about that strategy, the condo pre-construction or just pre-construction in general is the fact that it is not subject to rent control. Anything that's built, like you said, after November 15th of 2018, because Ford took away what Kathleen Wynne ruined for us. <laughs> the two things I generally don't talk about is politics and yeah. religion, but I totally, agree. I, I'm going to say I totally agree with you. It is definitely one of the best things when it comes to when it comes to investing into pre-construction because yeah the rental guidelines don't apply and here's the thing right like i think no matter what that what we've been through right now and once again the world i think the world is going to look at this country and say wow they really take care of their people agree or disagree how much the money is and how much the service and did they do well or not? In my opinion, we acted really quickly. The government acted really quickly in taking care of people. Because the last time I checked, there's nobody lining up for bread. Like everyone's eating. I, I know some people like $2,000 a month, nothing. But go check the rest of the world. Some of them are getting nothing. And I think this is going to bode very, very well 
for Canada as a whole for immigration, and more importantly, which I just totally believe, and I, it's it's all Southern Ontario, not just Greater Toronto Area, but I just think Southern Ontario is like, like the financial financial heartbeat of this country. And I think a lot of people are going to look and say, where do I want to go live when I'm, if I'm thinking about Canada, I want to go into the Southern Ontario market because A, it's one of the most multicultural areas in all of the world. And B, it's just the job growth is, we don't manufacture anything specifically Greater Toronto Area. It's all service-based you know, one of the fastest growing tech sectors in the world, um, um, our restaurants, biggest lounges, but our biggest, uh, the biggest hospitals in the country are here. The biggest universities and colleges are here and the Bay Street, the list goes yeah, on and I, on. I 100% agree with you with Southern Ontario. I think it's, for me, it's the one place I want to keep investing in. I mean, down the road, I might, I might diversify a little bit. Okay, I do you want to go back yeah. to one thing though before we're out of time? You mentioned contracts. Sure. You mentioned yes. clauses. Now, Yes. Can you to make changes to those? And if so, what changes should we be making? Okay, so first and foremost, I talked about location. And then I spoke about the next thing that you want to look at just before we get into contracts, Sarah, is the builder. Make sure that the builder's reputation is, is as, as good as it gets, you know? And the way that you check that is check the Terry on Home Warranty site. Um, and, and you'll get an idea not if the problems come up, like all builders are going to have issues with baseboards and stuff like that. Is that, did they fix it? Did they rectify people's problems on the website? And if they didn't, you'll hear and see it on the website. So you want to make sure that the reputation's good. The third thing is, is the contract. And what do you want to see in the contract? A, you want to see, you want to have the ability to do an assignment. Some builders will charge you a thousand, five thousand. You want to, a, make sure that you have the ability to sign it because it's your final, it's your parachute in case you can't close on it. You can go back. If they're saying 5000 you can go back and, and try to negotiate it. But it all has to be done within the 10 days. After the 10 days, so on day 11, that deal is firm. It's, it's a little, slightly different than a resale property because resale, you actually have to do something for the deal to go firm, meaning you have to sign what's known as a waiver or a notice of fulfillment. In pre-construction, if you fell asleep for 10 days, you just bought yourself a condo. So you got to make sure that you understand that, that it automatically goes firm. So any changes you want to make, you need to do those within the 10 days. That's, that's number that's one. Great. Make sure that's that a great tip. Some... Thanks for making for sure. me all get that. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Because we, because I know, I know like if you're doing multiplexes and we sell condos, even it's not that it's just a condo. We sell, if you fall asleep then you, you just bought yourself a condo. So I need to make sure people understand that. And you would have given a deposit of around five to $10,000. You'll lose that. And then you're also, in a contract that's firm and binding. So you cannot fall asleep for 10 days. You need to have the assignment clause in case financial hardship, you can, as long as you have this assignment clause, you can flip the paper before it gets built. A lot of profit is made in that, uh, using that strategy as well. The other stuff you wanna have in the contract is what's called rental during occupancy or lease during occupancy. When you're buying a pre-construction condo, there's two stages to the closing. There's occupancy and then there's registration. It's a six month period by when the developer says, okay, uh, Sarah, the investor, the, 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 it's the condos passed all the safety permits. 
but we're not registered as a condo corporation with the city, that's going to take five to six months, but you have to pay us an occupancy fee, which consists of the maintenance fees, property tax, and the interest portion of the builder. If you can't rent it out during that time as an investor, you're going to be out of pocket. So you need to have a clause in the contract that says, no, I, as an investor can rent this out. As long as you can rent it out, you're actually going to see the highest amount of cash flow during that period because it's an interim occupancy fee where you're not getting a mortgage. And so if you're renting it out at market rent and you're paying the occupancy fee. The next thing you want to see in the contract is cap development charges. Unfortunately, there's a cash grab from the city that, that charges the developer uh, a development charge and that gets passed on to you as the purchaser. We just want to have a cap because remember, we're buying something today for, uh, that's going to be built for three years from now. We don't know what the development charges are going to be. So I want to see in the contract what today's development charge is and cap it. If it goes higher, uh, uh, the, the builder has is out of pocket, not me as the investor. Those are the three so if it's a one bedroom on average, on average, you want to cap it at around $8,500 to $10,000. That's part of your closing costs. If it's a two bedroom, you're looking at about twelve to $14,000. Okay, awesome. So those are the main three things? Those are the main three things I want to see. Assignment clause, lease during occupancy, and cap development charges. Awesome. All right. No, that's, that's really good insights. So, you know, just as an investor in general, you know, let's just say you wanted to rent it and all of a sudden, I don't know, your tenant doesn't pay. Right. So that this is, this is what you're hearing a lot of, whether it's a condo, whether it's a, a unit, whether it's a property, you're, you're, you still have a tenant. So even though you can jack up the rent, you're not capped at the 2.2%, just keep in mind, you still have to do a very good thorough job of screening and finding that tenant because we're still in Ontario and the LTD and the RTA is still very geared towards those tenants. I mean, I mean, anybody who's listening or watching, I think, you know, Sarah, you, you, you probably have the best checklist around. And so just, just check out your checklist and, and everything that the right club talks about and discusses, this is no different. Like you are renting out a property and yes, in Toronto, the, in my opinion, in, in, in greater Toronto area, the class of tenant that you're getting is, is generally making more money compared to other areas, even in Southern Ontario or the country, that doesn't change. There's professional tenants everywhere. And so you need to make sure you do your homework and your research, but also as a landlord, don't be like, these are your customers. So treat them well, right? I think, I think in 15 years, the, the, the biggest, the, the amount of horror stories I've heard, it generally comes down because the landlord thinks that they're up here and the tenants beneath them. You got to remember that on average, the tenant's giving you $10,000 in principal pay down every single year. Passive appreciation on the low end is going to be 20 Gs, let's call it. That's 30 grand they're giving you. If I'm giving you 30 grand every year, be a little nice to me. Give me a bottle of wine, maybe. We don't all celebrate Christmas, but we celebrate the holiday season. Like, <laughs> come check me in off. Give me a call once. I'm giving you 30 grand every single year. Absolutely. Like, no, I agree with you. They're, they're a paying customer for sure. So, okay. So one of the things is with this whole Airbnb back and forth and the city not liking Airbnb, I, I know this was coming prior to this COVID and the downturn and everything like that. I think my, my question, first of all, always have two exit strategies. Hopefully you didn't buy a condo to Airbnb and now it doesn't work for anything else. But my question is around more the executive rentals and what the demand is for that kind of stuff in Toronto, where it's like yeah, for a few months. It's a certain little pocket in downtown Toronto. Um, if you can picture the 
the old Air Canada Centre, I mean, uh, the Scotiabank Centre now, right around the financial district. There is a high demand. In fact, I work with a company that exclusively does uh, furnish rentals, executive rentals, and she has a backlog, had a backlog. I haven't checked into her like during this time. Obviously, nobody's flying in, but you were looking at a backlog of about three years of furnished rentals. She was we were actually reverse engineering where we were finding investors only in this two, three kilometer radius right around uh, uh, the Scotiabank Center, which I say Scotiabank Center because that's kind of the financial district, financial core of downtown Toronto, um, where, where the demand was significantly higher than what the supply was. We are now starting to see a lot of the Airbnb units hit the long-term rental market, which is bringing up the vacancy rate. But I have a feeling this is going to get absorbed in the next it's safe to say 10 to 12 months as we start to see the opening. I already feel the buzz in terms of the consumer confidence just from the street level of my clients. They're just looking more and more are getting out. They're actually don't mind seeing places. Now we're going to see a, like a significant increase from in sales alone from May to what we saw in April. Cause April was that first full month of, of nobody leaving their homes. Everybody was really, really scared and for good, reason i mean the sales volume went down 67 percent. i think we're going to be hovering right around that 40 percent mark um from may and 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 yes more units did get hit the market from airbnb to long-term rental but i think we're going to see those get consumed up because remember we needed some supply we needed supply there was multiple offers that are happening at the rate of every night, we were seeing 10 to 12 separate units in the downtown core being in, getting into multiple offers. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy time, especially, you know, well, before everything happened, but end of last year, beginning of this year, like even in the areas that I invest in, it just is absolutely insane. 20 offers on properties that were decent, they were good, but I guarantee you right. that 20th offer that got it, <laughs> likely <laughs> way overpaid. So, you know. Right. I actually like this time a little bit from an investor's perspective because you got time now. Like you don't need to get into a multiple offer situation in every single area. You can go do the basic stuff. If it's a resale, like make it conditional on a home inspection, make it conditional on financing, make it conditional on a condo status report. I mean, I've seen multiple offers, thousands of them in, in 15 years that I've been doing this. It's like people think, oh, agent realtors like it. No, not really, because there's not, you have to rush everything. The whole process needs to be rushed. As an investor, you don't get the time to like, just breathe. Like, let me make this conditional. Let me dot all these I's and cross all these T's. Make it conditional on the due diligence or, or the lawyer's approval. In multiple offers, a seller's not looking at any conditions, generally speaking. Yeah, absolutely. So last question then before we get up to our lightning round. I'm just curious, you know, part of what I'm thinking may happen, and again, nobody knows for sure, is when we're, we're self-isolating, staying away from people, and the people that are in condos with elevators on the 20th floor in a one-bedroom with potentially their spouse or significant other, I wonder if they are going to say, I need more space, or I need to look for those condos at the ground floor that I can just walk out, or I need to find something that has a yard. Like, what are your thoughts on, on that trend? Are people going to stay in the city, leave the city? What's going to you know, again, nobody knows, but what do you think? Yeah. I left the crystal ball at home this time. <laughs> Next time I will remember to bring it. Look, I think, I think wherever the jobs are, 
that's where people are going to live. Developers here in, here in the Southern Ontario market, we're landlocked, right? So south of us, we got the lake. North of us, we have uh, the Greenbelt legislation, which just doesn't allow, like the, the developers cannot build, can't build out subdivisions, need to build up condos. It's why I think we have the most cranes up in the world, second to maybe Singapore. I don't see a huge shift. In fact, there's going to, I also think there's a big movement of people being in lockdown for so long, realizing how much space they really do use. Like I do have a home because I had to move out of the city because I have uh, two younger kids. Um, and, and I realized being home for eight, nine weeks every single day, like, wow, I think I only use seven, 800 square feet of my home like this the rest of it's been useless for me um and so i just don't see a big shift a big enough shift of people leaving condos it kind of reminds me on a different note like of, of 9-11 really quickly like where a lot of people were like no one's going to want to work in skyscrapers and and no one's going to fly in planes because of what happened we both know that that didn't stay true. Like still buildings got built in Manhattan, towers, you know, I think they built towers even bigger than the World Trade Center as they should have, um, but, and people still flew. I think there'll be, you know, for the next seven months, eight months, 12 months, call it a year, there's gonna be thoughts, like as you mentioned, then people are just gonna get back to what was semi-normal. Right. Um, I see it in my office. We've been closed. We were essential services since day one, but we all decided to stay home. As of uh, as of today, we started to kind of allow people back into the office. We had a lineup of people just wanting to get back. We, we're all laughing like, man, I can't wait to touch you. I just want to hug you. Like, can we get back into that again? Um, but there's also going to be people, as you mentioned, like, I don't want to touch the elevator buttons, but not at a not at a scale where you're going to see uh, uh, construction stop. Of condos. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, for sharing your thoughts on that. All right. Awesome. So next part of the podcast is lightning rounds. So I'm going to ask you five questions and you're going to answer them rapidly. First thought that comes to mind. Right. Ready? Love it. Today's lightning round is brought to you by the Canadian Real Estate Association. Listen to their podcasts real time on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Topics vary from the business of real estate to industry trends, home design, and so much more. Featuring guests like Terry O'Reilly and Sarah Richardson. So be sure to tune in and don't forget to subscribe. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Real estate investment book, uh, Robert Allen, No Money Down. All right, awesome. Number two, what is your favorite podcast? I'm going to say Sarah Larvey's podcast. Okay, so other than mine, because I, <laughs> I don't even know if you listen to it or not, but other than mine, what, what do you think? The Gary V audio experience. Awesome. All right, cool. Uh, next question, what is your favorite pastime aside from real estate? What do you do for fun? Play with my kids. How old are your kids? Uh, six and four. All right. Nice. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Uh, I would build it the same way that I built this. I, I would build it with people and just uh, sales and service is my gig. All right. Nice. And last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? I would say purchase, purchase a, a home or condo where the rental income covers the expenses. Just get into the market. Find if with $50,000, where can you invest where the rental income covers the expenses, neutral cash flow, you're fine with it as long as uh, uh, you're buying, as long as you can get into the market. 
All right, awesome. Thanks for playing our lightning round questions. Jazz, where can it. people reach out and find out more about you? Easiest way is just go to jazztakar.ca. That's J-A-S-T-A-K-H-A-R.ca. Um, it's the easiest way. If you like to consume video, you'll see all my video content. If you like to hear audio, you'll hear my audio content. And if you're a reader, you can read my blog. It's the easiest way to connect with me. Awesome. If you had one last final word of advice, what would that be? Shut out the noise. There's, there's either, it might come from the media, it might come from family and friends. I've just found in my life that most people have someone talking to them and sometimes it's the noise inside your head. Learn to shut it out by drowning it out and drowning it out with positivity. If you have garbage going in, garbage will go out. Shut out the noise and take action. Awesome. Shut out the noise and take action. Thank you, Jazz, for being on the show. It was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.